0: This week, I sit down with writer, actor, and director Jordan Cobb, a woman so talented that she scares even herself. We're talking boundary crossing, we're talking about space, we're talking collaboration with extraordinary friends, and we're talking about confronting terrifying things. All of that's coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Jordan Cobb has been a steadily growing figure in audio fiction since she graduated from NYU, like, last week, I jest, but her first audio drama, Here Be Dragons, was hatched during her senior year in college, and that only came out in 2017. Since then, Jordan has danced between roles in numerous productions, and, well, if you listened to last week's episode, where we presented her most recent show, Giannis Descending, you know that her powers have only grown. I had the great privilege and delight of talking to Jordan, a conversation that we present here for your listening enjoyment. We talk about space, we talk about how friggin' great Julia Shafini is, we talk, ultimately, about the terror of intimacy. This interview will spoil much of Giannis descending, so to aid in comprehension and avoid unwanted spoilers, I'd recommend listening to the entire series first. Bring tissues. And maybe a stuffed animal. But if you're all caught up, or you don't mind missing out on a little extra context for some of these questions, follow me to the interview zone. Let's take a listen. Jordan Cobb, welcome to Radio Drama Revival.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Very excited to have you here. Uh, now, to, to start off, um, I would like you to tell me about your relationship with science fiction and with audio drama. Because you told Alex Hensley of Audio Drama Rama that you listened to a ton of radio plays and books on tape when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. What were the What were the shows that were important to you growing up?
1: Oh man. Um... So uh, I got started off listening mostly to books on tape originally, um, and I remember I had three of them to start off with that I just wore uh, just wore them down until they were absolutely dead. Um, and that was uh, the Patchwork Girl of Oz, uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and Deep Wood. Uh, and so those were the three audio. Books that really got me just constantly listening to stories. And then I, you know, moved on to Harry Potter and a whole bunch of other audiobooks. And then I discovered Audible and my entire life was ruined. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was was bad and I'm still obsessed. It's kind of great. The first uh, radio play that I ever listened to... um, So my mom... uh, was constantly playing uh, Christian Radio, uh, Star 99.1, in the house. And every Sunday evening, like right around dinner time, they had uh, this little special where um, it was for kids, you know. uh, And it was basically... Ah, uh, this guy ran an ice cream shop, and the kids would come in to buy ice cream, but they'd tell him about the problems they were having. Oh, this
0: is your this is Adventures in Odyssey. You're describing.
1: Yes. Oh my God, I couldn't. I could not remember what it was called, but yeah, no, that's that's what it was. Um, yeah, I I listened to that uh, pretty much every single week. Um, and that's kind of what uh, got me thinking about radio plays in general. Um. Uh, science fiction came along a lot later. I, I read uh, some scary stories, uh, mostly fantasy stories uh, for most of elementary school. It wasn't really till I read Jurassic Park when I got to middle school that I was like, oh, science fiction is a thing. And then I just sort of spiraled.
0: <laughs> I think you and I are maybe similar because I definitely read the Michael Crichton books before I saw the movies, because I'm a big, I'm like a big squishes. You read Jurassic Park and and your your imagination was set alight by that.
1: Yeah, I, I read Jurassic Park and then I was introduced by friends to, you know, TV shows like Doctor Who and Star Trek. And it just very rapidly, because I always really loved science. I That's kind of my one big regret is that I haven't, done as much science as I would like to. Um, I really love um, biology specifically and, and you know, uh, paleontology and that kind of thing. But I always went more of the English history route um, specifically because a lot of, you know, higher level science has to do with a lot of math and I've never been good at math. So say, la vie, I suppose.
0: <laughs> what did you study in school?
1: In uh, undergrad, I, I studied uh, acting. Uh, I studied acting, and then I got a minor in creative writing.
0: But the love of science has persisted throughout.
1: Always, always. I mean, I can't help it. Dinosaurs are so cool, and sure. space is so cool, and then there's the ocean, and just don't get me started. I'll never stop.
0: <laughs> I want to get you started on the ocean, though, because it was it was trips to Martha's Vineyard, right, as a kid that got you into the idea of what would eventually become Here Be Dragons?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, so we went up every single summer, uh, and I have always loved the ocean. I'm I'm a Pisces, so it's you know creativity and water and just there. There was no hope for me. <laughs> so I, uh, but I got started um, with. Oh, how did I actually get started? Uh, so it was it was going up to Martha's Vineyard pretty much every single summer. And uh, as I got older, I was reading a lot more mythology. I was actually in the middle of a mythology class when the idea for Here Be Dragons first hit me. And uh, we'd gone up to the vineyard for Thanksgiving break. Uh, And so I was doing a little bit of homework, but also um, uh, just spending a lot of time out on the beaches um, on these cool breezy days and just watching the way that the water moved a lot of the time. I was also listening to um, an audiobook of H.P. Lovecraft stories uh, and so that was kind of when the idea sort of started to take root and then i let it settle for a while and uh a couple of months later i went and found myself watching a staged reading of some uh hp lovecraft works with one of my best friends uh christina who plays uh pippa on Here Be dragons and she was also our sound editor um and that was it, it all just went from there uh
0: let, let can we talk about lovecraft for a second i'm gonna jump ahead in my notes oh
1: absolutely um
0: because you, you, there, there is a lot of Lovecraft in Giannis Descending. Or sorry, there's a lot of Lovecraft in Here Be Dragons. Well, right? I mean like both. unknowable but yeah. monsters of the deep, the great terror of the open ocean. And there's a lot of what I would think of like Call of Cthulhu and at the Mountains of Madness mm-hmm. present in Giannis Descending in your descriptions of the alien life forms, but especially their architecture. Um, and... I I, guess I would like for you to tell me about your relationship with H.P. Lovecraft. Because, like, as you and I both know, Howard Phillips Lovecraft was a racist, anti-Semitic <laughs> garbage boy. Oh, God, the so, worst. So how do you work with influences that you know are racist or toxic, but then bend them to suit your own purposes?
1: Ooh, um, so yeah i I kind of fell into uh, the world of HP Lovecraft um and
0: did anybody was, warn you uh
1: yes uh so my ex my ex who uh <laughs> originally introduced me to to lovecraft uh got me to to read a couple of the stories and then he's like you know by the way he's kind of like the worst and I you know the more I read of his work I was like oh yeah, this is it it's bad. it's it gets real rough uh the the mm-hmm. deeper into his works that you go. um but I was just so utterly fascinated by the worlds he was creating. and I, I think there's something in the monsters that he made more often of the time were people. and I relate a lot to that as a concept, that, that a lot of the really the darkest, worst parts of his story, the scariest parts of his story are the human beings who are going through it. It has, you know, something to do with the monsters. It has a lot to do with his monsters. But I I find that, you know, as an introvert, I naturally find people kind of scary. Um, but it, But it was easier to take everything he was saying and creating with a grain of salt knowing that that part of you know who he was that the scary parts of him were also very relevant and and visceral in the work that he was creating and i think that's very true of most scary awful stories but i i was simultaneously fascinated by the way he saw the world uh, and also the 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 creatures that he was creating out of those fears that he had. Um, And I think that any any scary story that I'm personally going to tell is going to be based a lot in the things that I'm terrified of. There's a lot of that in Giannis Descending. There's a lot of that in Here Be Dragons. Um, But yeah, it's it's being able to see the person inside of their work as well as outside of it. Uh, and understanding how they're going to be channeling that so that you don't uh, take that on. You know, that, that I'm not going to, hopefully, I'm trying not to at least, to, you know, if I'm using influences of Lovecraft's work, it's that I know where his fears and prejudices lie within the work so that those are the parts that if it's not something that I agree with and I don't agree with it, A lot of his personal methodologies and mindsets and stuff like that Uh, so it's
0: well i mean he would have despised both of us right
1: oh oh so (laughs) much oh so much he he would have hated the things that i have uh planned for season two of here be dragons whenever that comes out i and i do that intentionally sometimes it's that when i know that you know, the works that I'm working with don't include me or don't want me, I will deliberately insert myself into those kinds of stories and, and and build spaces for people who aren't necessarily welcomed in the originals of that text. Yeah. Specifically to make people roll over in their graves because, you know.
0: <laughs> that's what I was... That's I think that's actually the best way to honor the work of H.P. Lovecraft is to, like create work that would make him revolve in the casket as much as possible like dude d- dude deserves that
1: exactly and and also to to open it up for more people so that you know because it's hard to enjoy works where you know the the author is literally spitting into your face and telling I... you that you're worthless or that you're nothing it's really hard to sit down and enjoy that kind of a story. Um, so it's being able to kind of open that up to not not the viscer the viscera of it, but open up the the great fascinating parts
0: of it, sure, so
1: that other people can enjoy it, you know,
0: yeah, so adopting as much of the cosmic horror element as you can without picking up any of the xenophobia that necessarily comes with it
1: exactly and it's hard, and I you know I don't pretend that I do anything perfectly so I'm sure there's even more room for improvement and making things better because that's it's hard to separate you know hate like that from from the text because it's in there
0: what can you tell me about the origins of Giannis Descending like how did you decide this was what you wanted to do with your next audio drama project
1: oh well I mean first and foremost it was it was born out of the fact that Anthony and I just really wanted to work together. Right. Um, But, you know, he lives halfway across the country from me, so it would be a little hard for us to, you know, coordinate our schedules to actually be able to sit down and record things together. Automatically off the bat, I knew if I wanted to work with him, tell any kind of a story with him, it would have to be from those two separated perspectives. Um, And... We tried out uh, a couple of different scripts um, that I'm keeping on the back burner for now, but I started watching the Alien movies, I think is really what did it. It was a combination of uh, wanting to to work with someone who was very, very far away, and then starting to have this concept of something. I, I knew I wanted it to take place in outer space because my... Three major, major loves are, you know, the ocean, outer space, and dinosaurs. Um, And and Anthony is not as enthusiastic about dinosaurs as I am, um, so I'm saving dinosaurs for the next one. Um,
0: When are we going to see Dinosaurs in Space, the Jordan Cobb story? Oh,
1: well, maybe not in space, but there's definitely going to be a dinosaur story... Fairly soon. I just have to finish writing Descendants first.
0: <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's,
1: it's already starting to be planned out. Um, uh, but, yeah, then I started watching Alien, and got, I got really obsessed, which is unusual for me because I – and I know everybody laughs at me about this, and it, it's perfectly fair because I deserve to be laughed at about this, but I
0: hate horror. I, yeah, you're not a horror person. I'm
1: not I really Wha-
0: really hate it I'm so- why, why do you hate it? Can we let me put on my little psychologist hat like why 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 do you hate it Jordan?
1: Kahn? Oh like I just don't like being scared. I just don't. I okay. don't like that feeling. Oh, so she
0: can dish it out, but she can't take oh, it. Oh,
1: I can't even dish it out. Julia was sending me back things, and I'd be like, "Nope, I don't like this. You did a great job, but I hate it." And I knew that it was coming because I wrote it. <laughs> I can't even dish it out properly. I get so easily spooked. It's it's really embarrassing. It takes sure absolutely nothing.
0: No, I mean it, it took a lot of like inertia. For me to even listen to Giannis descending, because I was like, I know this is supposed to be good. I know this is supposed to be good. I respect <laughs> Jordan. I'm gonna do it. And then I listened, and I was scared, and I was mad at you. Um, but it was very good.
1: <laughs> Lots of people are me included.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know the the podcast. You're going back to podcast jail, yeah, like you told Gavin. You know, the other I'm, day. I'm
1: recording live from from audio drama feelings jail as we speak.
0: <laughs> sure, the audio drama who's gal. So you're you're not you're not at all a horror person, and yet you've made this thing that is so terrifying. I, I, can we can we explore that that irony? Yeah,
1: um, I think it's because I know what scares me. I think that's at the very at the very baseline heart of it. You know, I know what scares me, and I know why it scares me. Um, so a lot of I. I I say a lot of the time that, you know, Peter and Chell are just, if you separated my heart from my head uh, and just gave them their own two bodies and let them just run around on an alien world, that's, you'd get Giannis descending. Um, And Peter is a lot of my own uh, personal anxieties and, and fears and things like that. A lot of the things that he talks about are things that are very deeply rooted in, like, this scares me a lot. Um, it, it was interesting to play with because I know I I had to put them in two separate horror stories. I won't say anything in case there are new listeners out there.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm i going to assume this is going to be a pretty spoilery conversation. So anything that we discuss can pertain to the entirety of... of. Oh, great. All of yeah, I'll, I'll do my yeah. best to, go, to go try to
1: keep it at least a little vague. But yeah, um, uh, so... One of them is very much set in a psychological horror story, and the other one is very much set in an actual physical monster story. Um, Because those are the two kinds of things that I'm kind of okay with. Those are the kinds of horror films that if you're gonna sit me down and make me watch something, I can kind of get through a psychological horror story, even though I am a deeply paranoid person. And I can make my way through a monster story because I can a lot of the time convinced myself that oh this could not ever possibly happen to me um, so I think I was coming at it from that perspective where you know I'm, I'm using a lot of my own personal fears you know and and I hate jump scares so I put jump scares in there I, I hate those mm-hmm. moments of, of tension where there's where you know the monster is right around the corner and you can hear it breathing I hate hate that, so I put it in there. <laughs> this was a, an exercise of, of just deep masochism.
0: <laughs> That's so funny.
1: I really enjoyed the story. It was, it's one of my favorite that I've ever told. I think it, I think it really is my favorite story I've ever told. Um, But, you know, I, I also see it very much as, like, this is a love story, but it just went very terribly, terribly wrong, mostly because The universe let me write this. If someone else had written Giannis Descending, it would have been a love story and they could have had a happy ending, but the universe decided to put it into my head, so sorry, everybody.
0: (laughs) You should apologize for nothing.
1: (laughs) I feel like I always have to apologize. People are like, you scared me, and I'm like, I know, and I feel bad because I hate it when people do that to me, you know? I mean,
0: isn't that the bargain that we strike when when we elect to listen to a horror story?
1: I mean, yes, yes. Technically speaking, yes. So I know I shouldn't feel bad. I do feel a little bit bad. Sometimes. Do you, do you other really? times it's wildly entertaining. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes it's entertaining. Sure. Um. Oh, man. But yeah, I've just been kind of incredibly surprised by just how well-received it's been. Like, people really seem to enjoy getting scared, and I'm like, wow, I don't know what that feels like, like to enjoy being scared. Uh But it's it's really gratifying to know that like I made this and I scared the hell out of myself and also a lot of other people, but the other people are enjoying that feeling. Right. So that's really nice.
0: (laughs) So this has been said a lot about Giannis Descending by Julia in her Honey Roast, by Will and Ellie in their reviews, that it felt similar to the musical The Last Five Years, a musical which crisscrosses the experience of a couple forwards and backwards through time. How did you decide on the structure of Giannis Descending? Because you'd originally written the two strands sequentially with each other, right?
1: It it had been my plan from fairly early on to do the the crisscrossing. I saw The Last Five Years god i must have been i must have been in like eighth or ninth grade something like that it, i was
0: jesus jordan
1: yes i was <laughs>
0: i know it's fine. Well, it was, it's fun
1: <laughs> it's bad um it and not not the movie version i didn't even know there was a film i so i saw the the last five years a while back um I've never seen the movie. I didn't even know it was a movie until Ellie uh, sent me the draft she was about to publish of the review. And I was like, oh, this was a film? When? (laughs) Um, uh, But it...
0: Yeah, I've only... I I never saw it. I've only heard the the cast. Oh,
1: it's so heartbreaking. It's so good. It's so good. But it, it kind of drifted into the back of my mind. Um. Until I really started working on Giannis Descending and I started to develop this story uh, and I think it was right around the time where I realized what kind of horror stories that each of the characters had to be in for this story to work and be effective and like actually, you know, kind of scary um, That I that I – remembered the last five years and I I kind of went and I looked back at it at how they had done that crisscrossing you know someone starts at the beginning tells it to the end the other person starts at the end goes to the beginning and I was like well I don't know if you can do that with a horror story so let me find out um it it, it was Mm -hmm. kind of a just totally an exercise um because on the one hand I wasn't at all confident that I could write a horror story because I'm scared of everything and I wasn't sure that that would work Um, so I was like well since I don't really indulge in this particular um, genre very often uh, and I don't necessarily know how the rules are supposed to work but I do know what is kind of scary let me just mess with the form and see if it works Um, so it was entirely a like let's see if I can because I don't know what else to do, um, but yeah, it was that was the plan from fairly early on.
0: I, I I feel like you must have made edits after like the interweaving to to seed oh, to yeah. seed things in different parts of the narrative, like after you had flipped it around.
1: Yeah, so I so I had to write the whole thing chronologically because I knew if I tried to do, you know, the episode one, then episode 13, then episode three, then episode 11, that I was just going to get really confused and no one was going to be able to follow the story. So I wrote the whole thing uh, from the chronological beginning to the chronological end and then I took Peter's storyline and I flipped it and then I went back and I read the whole thing um, because I knew that if I was going to be playing with the form in that particular way, that every, every other episode had to tell you what was going on in the other person's storyline. So if I was going from episode one to episode 13 to episode three, that episode 13 had to have, um, you know, part of what had happened in episode two. Sure. Like it had to be mentioned, or it had to do a callback to that, so that you could listen all the way through and start piecing together what had gone wrong and where. Um, otherwise, the whole thing would have been just a just a nightmare and not in the fun way.
0: Right. <laughs> Yana's descending to me feels like a story about like crossed boundaries and the consequences for crossing those boundaries. Like, Chell repeatedly transgresses. She chooses to go into the cave. She chooses at the, the very beginning to sneak into Peter's files to make the case for the expedition to Axel. She chooses to make contact with the dog creature. She chooses to take the statue back to the adamantine. What were you interested in exploring with that?
1: Um, So Chell is a character who's a lot of... You know, a lot of my lack of impulse control um, and also uh, a lot of that boundless energy and love, that constant driving force that constantly keeps me pushing through every single day to do all of the things that I really enjoy and to go after the things that I love. And she's a version of that that does that without thinking, without necessarily having uh, the the that little voice or part of her that says no you can't, no you shouldn't, no you don't deserve. That kind of constant, you know, the, the boundaries. She doesn't have boundaries, she doesn't need them, she has Peter. You know, Peter works as that little voice a lot of the time. Um,
0: right. Peter's more the like decision paralysis aspect of the exactly.
1: personality. Exactly. Um, so it was... It was really interesting having her as a character in this because it's the what if you just did all of the things that you always wanted to. I have always wanted to go to space. I don't have any form of means to get to space yet. Someday, hopefully I will get there. But, you know, Chell did and she actively went after that and it's it's the constant what comes next. Well, what if... And she lives in that that realm of what if yes, as opposed to Peter, who's very what if no. So I was really exploring the possibility of just constantly being able to be the the, the strongest and most vibrant version of a person that I could imagine. And she's, you know... Uh, she's, she's the kind of character who you can't break her easily. You can't break her spirit easily because she doesn't accept no as an answer. I frequently accept no as an answer. Um, so it was <laughs> um, so, so it was interesting to just be <laughs> able to play with someone who was so actively chasing after their own life and their own wants. Um, was a lot of fun to be able to play with that. Uh, especially in in a world that was so aggressively, you know, also chasing after her life, but in a very different and frightening sense, <laughs> she's going for all the best parts of it the the right. the brightest stars and the sweetest flavors and you know she winds up on this planet that's like, hey, I'm gonna kill you. and she's like, not today, Satan, not today. <laughs> Or at least you know, tries to be. It's it's a horror story. They do both die. It doesn't end well for anybody involved. But it's what if you do go after all those right. bright shiny things? Right. What happens? What's the worst that could possibly happen?
0: Well, you and your loved one could die horribly. <laughs> you could end up with an alien parasite slowly crystallizing your body.
1: Yep, it's uh, not not fun. Not fun. The worst is bad. The worst is bad.
0: <laughs> so the the choices for the names. Chell and and Peter mm-hmm. begin to bear this curious sonic resonance through the show. Peter says, "You know, Chell becomes a shell of herself, and Peter himself begins to petrify, to turn to stone." Um, are are those intentional choices?
1: Holy crap! No. <laughs> Wait,
0: that's so great. Wait. Oh my god. No, no, no. Let's here. Let me let me let me ask you again. Let me ask you again, and you can play it off like it was intentional. Jordan, were those? Were those choices on purpose?
1: Fuck no, but I love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, wait, I'm so sorry. Am I allowed to swear? Oh my yeah, god. Of oh no. This is your house. I, t- I know, but I don't know how the rules work. <laughs> oh man. Um ah uh, no. So so choosing characters <coughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Wait. No, my my whole mind is entirely blown. Ponders did something uh, from from a sessions, uh podcast mm-hmm. did something really, really similar to me um, at PodCon uh, earlier this year. Um, talking about the the fact that I'd named uh, the stars uh, Remus and Sirius, which was entirely just a wolf star joke for the benefit of my roommate um but then had this whole incredible just like oh no it's actually really representative of the characters and how they move through the world and i had to sit down like actively sit down on the floor so if i wasn't sitting down right now i'd i'd be on the floor just so that you are aware um
0: this is funny ponders and i should open like a psychology practice oh my god where we just interview uh Audio dramatists and, like, delve into their name choices.
1: Oh, my God. Please do. Yeah, no. (laughs) I... (laughs) That's... Oof. So...
0: To me, a lot of the horror of Giannis Descending is, like, the question of, you know, is... Are the people we love truly knowable? Like, do, do you think that we can ever truly... Understand someone, like truly understand a partner or a friend, or do we project an image of our understandings of that person onto that person? Does that make sense as a question?
1: Yeah, um, this is something I go back and forth on a lot, um, and I, I think it is, I feel like you can always know someone to an extent, but at the same time, it's, it's hard because not everybody will let you know all of them. There are some people who are incredibly open, and I think it is entirely possible to just know them, or at least to be able to, to some extent, anticipate them to to understand how they will respond to certain things. Um, But yeah, I think that is kind of at the heart of Giannis Descending. It, It is this story of these two people who love each other deeply and can't quite anticipate one another in the way that 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 they both have different expectations of who they think this other person is that you know under slightly different circumstances or with better communication um that they would have been right that i think you know but but i think that's kind of the the issue is that you can Oh, see, again, and I'm going back and forth on this even as I'm trying to, like, s- formulate an answer out loud, um, that, that I think they did know each other. I think they knew each other very well. I'm not entirely sure how well they knew themselves. And I think that might be where mm. some of the miscommunication comes in, that they are constantly seeing aspects of one another that the other person doesn't know is actually there until it's a little bit too late.
0: Well, like, for me, Peter doesn't seem to be nearly as kind or as sweet as Chell makes him out to be, or as she believes him to be.
1: Yeah, and I, that was a really interesting thing. That's, like, my one regret of the way that the story is structured, because I did have the story from beginning to end originally. So there are traces of Peter's the way that Chell sees Peter um, in the chronological version that aren't present or aren't as obvious because the first time we interact with him is Peter beyond his worst and that we don't get uh, any of that soft kindness until significantly later but it's also juxtaposed with all of the, you know, by that point, Chell is at her worst and we see her and peter at their worst at the same time as yeah it it gets muddy um but yeah no i think i think we do have a tendency to idealize the people that that we love and that can be a really dangerous thing um it can also be the kind of thing that motivates us to great and also to terrible acts um i think that
0: was that a was that a great and terrible title yeah. drop for Anthony's benefit?
1: Maybe. Maybe it was a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I always try to drop little little tiny things of of other fabulous fabulous people who I just genuinely deeply admire. Everybody go listen to Anthony's work. Okay. Um <laughs> um but I think it's I think that was also something that I I really enjoyed being able to play with in this particular narrative of what people do when they're at their worst, but when they're with that one person that they love so intensely. I think that with Peter, um, his part of the story is, you know, he hits his absolute rock bottom and he's not able to be... Uh, a hero in the moment where Chell needs him to be a hero and, and then continues on from the story and then far too late. His love for her pushes him to try to be the hero that she needed and deserved, but it comes far too late and he ends up doing some really terrible, terrible things as opposed to Chell, you know, hits her rock bottom and finds all of the things that peter loved about her within herself but also that her love for peter pushes her to move forward and try to get back to him that they're both these flawed and fractured people who don't necessarily see all of themselves the way that the other person does until until it's
0: too late what 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 did you wanna explore about like Well you you've kind of already answered this, but like what did you want to explore about people with this project?
1: Oh so I'm always kind of wondering about the different facets of what it is to be a human being. That's kind of with all the stories that I tell, especially the ones that I'm going to be telling within the universe of Giannis Descending. Um it, it's all kind of driving at what it is to be human. And I think it was a combination of, well, because I think it's really interesting. Uh, Horror does something to the characters within it where you watch people be put under increasing amounts of pressure. And there are some people who just completely shatter. And there are some people who continue to push back um, or find ways to circumvent or avoid that pressure, um, and so I, I'm wondering what it is that intense trauma that is outside of someone's control, what that does to a person, and so that was a, a lot of what I was uh, exploring, especially towards the end of the narrative. Once you know you're you hit entry eight and beyond. Um, chronologically speaking, just watching what happens, what is the difference between someone who breaks and someone who tries to continue pushing through. Like the, the monsters inside of everyone, because everybody has monsters. Everybody is capable of doing really incredible things and doing really, really terrible things. It's just a matter of, of pressure, of, of time and pressure. You know, you're either gonna crack or you're gonna turn into a diamond. It's one or the other. And it's all a matter of circumstance. And so I was interested in exploring what circumstances, the same circumstances, what they do to different kinds of people.
0: Chal and Peter each have a different understanding of what went down under the pyramid, and it leads to tragedy. What's your interpretation of what causes that tragedy?
1: I think it's that moment Uh, before anything happens in the cave uh, where they're standing together on their way down into the caves for for the final time and um, and it's when Peter almost tells Chell that he loves her and mm-hmm. he doesn't and it's that moment of decision uh, that sort of Finalizes the way that things go because I feel like in that particular moment, if he'd been able to articulate himself in words, he would have been able to take action uh, when she needs him to. At the end of the, at the end of that episode, he would have been able to to save her, um, or would have gone after her more immediately. Uh, and I think it's those moments of when we tell ourselves that we can't, that we're not worthy, that someone couldn't ever possibly want us um, in, the, in the way that we want them. I think it's those little moments of, it's all about finding little moments of courage. Um, and I, I think that the the tragedy comes when we can't, believe in ourselves the way we believe in other people um because I do believe that you know the human spirit is indomitable and that that people are are absolutely capable of doing really phenomenal breathtakingly beautiful things but you have to have some level of faith in yourself or at least in other people to be able to achieve that and if you can't then it's 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 just not gonna happen you know
0: so um i mean we're we're coming tor- towards the end of of my questions anyway uh and i wanted to give you the floor for a second because julia Shafini, your wonderful sound designer uh in an episode of Tess kokios honey roast talked about what a joy and a privilege it was to design and learn how to design uh sound for the purposes of making honest ascending for you and with you um here is your open floor to tell me and everyone what it was like to work with Julia.
1: Oh, my God. It was um, an absolute, utter dream to be able to work with Julia. I I have said it before, and I will say it again. Uh, she is the reason that Giannis Descending even exists. Um, so we uh, we lost our, our sound editor um, for Giannis. Uh, right at the time where I had just finished You know the final edits of the scripts and we were ready to go and then we uh, lost our sound editor and I Panicked I utterly panicked because I don't know any sound designers Um, uh, And so I just kind of threw a thing out on Twitter and was like hey uh, If anybody knows any sound editors, please help, please, please help um And Julia got back to me within, like, five minutes. Uh, She'd already been uh, cast as Captain Rory, who appears Mm -hmm. in the third prologue and and is going to be a main character in the sequel, Descendants. Um, But she reached out and she's like, hey, I've been kind of playing around with this. Uh, Would you be interested in hearing what I've got? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever works. And she sent it to me. And it was... Just her playing around for something she's currently working on building was incredibly realistic, and it was just exactly what I wanted. And I was like, "Perfect, you are hired." And and I knew that she she also knew what scary was. That you know, she because she works on spirits, she's done a whole bunch of audio drama. She knows how sound works, and and I was just so insanely lucky to have her just like pop up and do this amazing amazing thing but but she is such a wealth of of knowledge and she's so she intuitively knew what I was going for that, that I I have a tendency to overwrite my um my stage directions mostly because I write them In such a way that, because I am of the belief that if everyone can see what's going on, everybody who's looking at that script will know exactly what needs to happen. Even though it's just going to be an an audio medium, um, that if they can put themselves in that world, um, then we're all going to be creating the same thing. Um, So I tend to lean more into overwriting as opposed to just um, saying like, these are the bare minimum Directions that I need, but she, she made the world actually exist in in such a way that that I I started being able to really visualize this planet in in a whole new shades and shapes and colors. That that her work was so incredibly influential that that it almost feels like the world didn't necessarily properly exist until she created it you know
0: i would like to move away from talking about how wonderful julia is and (laughs) back to how horrifying the monsters are and ask you about like the design of the creatures and how you how you went about conceiving the like their shape you know like like the gorgon's have a very clear i mean you describe the the characters describe them but like i have a very clear visual understanding in my mind of how they how they feel
1: yeah so again this is just jumping right back to things that scare me um
0: yeah tell me about that spooky stuff
1: sue so, yeah oh absolutely um uh so part of it is very entrenched in you know Lovecraft uh, where things are squishy and slimy and gross and just there's that feeling of something being just th- there's a difference between when something is just dripping and when something thick is dripping that just if it's if it's got any sort of body to it it just gets grosser um, and there's just something about it that just makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. So the Gorgons themselves um, are kind of a combination of of a couple of different things. You know, it was very, um, that initial sense of, well, this is a, a parasite that wiped out all life on this planet very much came from me obsessively watching my way through the Alien series. Like that, I don't even try to hide that. That's It's very much based on Alien. Sure,
0: I mean, chestbursters, uh, sure.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: It's I gross. Mean, there's, there's a it's, there's a statue. There's a a crystalline corpse with yeah.
1: I yeah, mean you're you exactly. expli-
0: explicit about that call out. Sure.
1: Oh yeah, it's because it's, it's scary. It's mm-hmm. scary having something that's that's inside you that is not you that is in you but not of you and that is becoming something that is entirely different that will no longer be you. That freaks me out. Um um the the concept of loss of control. I am a control freak, I will wholeheartedly say it. Um, that, that not being able to physically control what you are doing, what you are thinking, what you are experiencing, because there is something that is actively living inside you, pushing you out. That freaks me out. Um, it was also, um, I don't know how much Doctor Who you are, a a watcher or reader of but uh the weeping angels Mm -hmm. i don't i don't like when things that aren't supposed to move have moved i don't like it when rocks can just pick up and start walking around i don't like it i simply don't um so so there's that that element of you know this thing that is not you has crawled inside of you and that it kind of then it cocoons you. And then that cocoon has a little bit of agency. It can kind of follow you around. There was a lot more of the of the Gorgons in their crystalline state, uh, actively following Peter and Chell around, uh, in the in the early drafts of yannis Descending. And then I realized that no one would actually understand what that was because they couldn't see it. That that's a much scarier thing to see than it is to hear um so i had to pare back on that a little bit um and then you know so so this thing crawls inside you and then it crystallizes you and the crystal can kind of start walking around a little bit and then it just sort of bursts from you that it that it cracks you open and you you're nothing you are part of this giant hive mind Um, that's something that also kind of is a weird concept to me. I don't, I'm not a fan of mob mentality, mostly because usually, or there there are too many instances in history of mob mentality being used to harm and do really horrible, horrifying, unthinkable things that an individual would never, never do. But mob mentality and that hive mind mentality starts to twist it into something very, very different. There's also something a little bit insectoid, I think, about hive mind mentality um, that I'm usually a friend to. Uh, no, I'm a friend to all bugs, but not not arachnids, but, well, but bugs. You know. it's,
0: it's interesting because I think a lot of like bug space horror that descends from science fiction mm-hmm. i guess i'm thinking specifically of starship troopers which to me is kind of like the great granddaddy of all space bug science fiction um mm-hmm. it, you know like oh, oh science fiction tends to and i'm speaking in very broad strokes here reflect the anxieties of of the era in which it was written right and oh, so, absolutely and so heinlein is so frightened of of communism right yeah uh, and 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 to me, and this is a this is a interpretation that I've read a, a bunch of places that the the giant bug narrative in mid century American science fiction is a fear of communist China and communist Russia that it's like this dehumanized collectivist enemy that all wants the same thing and they're just gonna overrun and eat the individuated American
1: ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely where yeah um, and i you know i I play a little bit less with the with the actual hive mind, but i I always tend to think of it because that's that's definitely it does come out of communism i I tend to think more of uh, uh, fascism and then the Nazis and uh um and specifically the the recurrence of, of neo nazism that we are starting to unfortunately see again uh Whoop-de-doo. in this day and age, yeah. yeah and it's it, it's i think i have a lot Listeners, of That was a sarcastic around. whoop-de-doo
0: just to be yeah. super clear i'm i'm jewish oh god yes jordan's black oh. we're not excited about any of this we're
1: we no 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 always always punch nazis if if you get that opportunity take it always punch nazis
0: do it you Even can put Joker it in a scrapbook later <laughs> um <laughs> oh my god sorry
1: no i love it um uh, yeah no, I think my anxiety around hive mind also comes you know part of that loss of control also um things that are bigger than oneself um inserting themselves into your into your life and exerting control over you that that there are so many institutions that are in place uh, and and things of that nature, where people are forcibly exerting their control over you, and that you lose all of the things that make you that make you you. Uh, that that really freaks me out. That there's, and I, I think that this is also something that we are capable of doing to ourselves that it doesn't always have to be an outside force that sometimes it's you know your own anxieties or or uh depression i i struggle with that sometimes where there are, there are just parts of my own mind that are forcibly exerting their control over me that i can't necessarily do anything about that but that it may change the way that i move through my world you know um, and that's something that's that's kind of a scary concept so i think that's part of where uh the gorgons started to develop um i also kind of wanted something about them despite all of the ugliness that they do and all of the 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 horror that they bring something about them is a little bit enticing a little bit pretty which is why i had them um instead of just being solid stone that they are you know crystals that it, in in some aspects they are incredibly beautiful because I also think there's some part of being a monster that there's always something tempting you know there's always some little part of us like um intrusive thoughts you know that there's always a little part of you sometimes that's like well what if I did the bad thing I could do it. I could do it very easily. And that there's, you always kind of have to tamp that down. That there's always something a little bit Mm -hmm. sparkly and shiny that kind of draws your attention.
0: Something pretty about the poison.
1: Exactly. And I think that's, that's always fun to play with. That's what I'm, when it's not always so obviously dangerous until you're in it.
0: So to to take us home, Jordan, what are what are the things that like refill your energy meter? What are the things that like resuscitate you?
1: Oh, it, it's it's very hard because I'll, I'll, it, Sarah Werner um, from Girl in Space talks about this on her other podcast uh, right now, mm-hmm. um, uh, just talking about how sometimes the things that we love to do are also incredibly draining. So. Writing for me is an incredibly just restorative – I I find it every single time that I stop writing and then I come back to it after a certain period of time, it feels like I can breathe again. I can feel Mm. my heart start beating again. I I feel the same way when when I've gone away from acting for a long period of time and then I suddenly find myself back on stage, that these are the things that fill me. To the absolute brim, but that they are exhausting. That, you know, it takes a lot
0: of work. Um What's like the non-exhausting Jordan thing? Um that, that brings you joy.
1: Reading. I I love reading, consuming stories, uh, cool. in in all their forms. Um I love reading plays and and listening to audiobooks. Um I I don't watch a ton of television or a ton of movies but i do find um i've been watching a lot of animal planet lately and that's been really nice um yeah yeah. i i also kind of that's a little bit of cheating though because i i use that as part of my writing i like sparking ideas for other worlds by looking at stuff that already exists in ours and then sort of twisting it and making it bigger or smaller you know reshaping it um to, to fit whatever it is that I'm building.
0: I think that's what everybody does. I don't oh, think that's hope cheating. So.
1: It feels like cheating. I say, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit down and watch a couple of episodes of Blue Planet and it'll be fine. I'm not, I'm not working on my writing right now. This is relaxing. And then I'm sitting there going like, okay, and so the killer whales are doing this and then the seals do that. (laughs) And I'm like, well, how can I apply this to an alien planet? Or what can I use for, you know, dinosaurs or AI? Oh man, the number of dinosaur documentaries that I watch. That is my go-to. I will. I am always down to watch dinosaur documentaries, no matter how terrible they are. Ugh, the worse the computer graphics, the more joy it brings me. Amazing. It's, just, it's so funny. Just watching really badly animated T-Rexes running through the world, and I'm like, ah, oh, they just, they wouldn't move like that. That's not how anything moves. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest. It's my favorite. Oh, wait, do we talk about why Giannis yet? Oh, the two-faced god of time. Yes. yes. Um, We we didn't. Uh, so, just why why the title? Mm-hmm. Oh God, I just agonized it's, over it.
0: <laughs> just because it's two two faces and of time and going backwards and forwards simultaneously. Is it is it related to the format? Is it more than that?
1: Yeah, it it was related. Um, so it very much started off as being related to the format, and and for the longest time, I knew that I wanted to have. Um, so Giannis is the Roman name? No, Greek the- name. Roman. Yeah, you're right. Great right. Roman name for the two-faced god of time. Uh, there is a younger face that is facing forwards and an older face facing backwards. Um, and I knew for the longest time that I wanted to have him involved in the story somehow, and I couldn't figure it out. And it took until. Maybe two weeks after I'd finished the first draft of it, um, the like the first full draft of the entire series for me to go. Oh, I can just call it. You know, I'll, I'll put it into the title, and then I could have it um, inserted into uh I- into the story in some very small way. And so I called the project that they were going on the Giannis Initiative, um, because you know I. I very much enjoy the idea of companies trying to be secretive about all of the monetizing enterprises that they're getting into, especially sure. when they're like, eh, this might be slightly shady. Um, but also, we don't want our competitors to hear about it and beat us to the punch. Um, and so they called the project the Giannis Initiative, and so I threw that into the title as Giannis Descending, uh, because everything about the project goes horribly wrong, but also that they're descending physically into these tunnels, but that they're also kind of descending into the worst versions of themselves. It just as soon as it clicked, I did an actual happy dance on the subway platform. I, like I th- it. there were people looking at me. They're like, we just want to go home. What is wrong with this girl? <laughs> was, I was just doing my little dance. I was so happy. Um That's so funny. Uh but yeah, and it, it was initially tied to tied to the format but then as I continued moving through the story on the second pass of the the edits uh that it started to fit itself in in ways that I hadn't quite anticipated that there are these elements of lost time that there's this slightly aged soul that is is Peter versus this youthful energy of Chell that they're never quite meeting in the ways that they should, that they're constantly looking at things from different angles and that they're never, they're, they're on the same page, but that they're reading the story very, very differently. Um, that they never see eye to eye, that they physically can't see eye to eye. Um, and and so the, once the title fell into place, it, it also unlocked a whole bunch of new Fun secrets that I didn't know were actually already in there, um, which was really nice.
0: That's so cool when you give yourself a present like that.
1: I know, especially like an unexpected present. I am always a fan of unexpected presents, especially when it comes in writing.
0: Yeah. Well, I was very glad to expect your presence
1: today. But <laughs> he'll be here Thank all you. week, folks. Oh, hey. God. <laughs> That was, oh god, that was so bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know.
1: No, but know. I'm so I'm so happy that I got to do this. This was a this was a lot of fun, and it, it's it's always good, you know, getting to to talk about stories. I think that's a really important thing is being able to share our own stories in conjunction with the stories that we're intentionally telling. Jordan Cobb, thank
0: you so much for coming on Radio Drama Revival. <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for having me. Hey, wow, I love Jordan and her work. And if you've listened this far, I bet you do too. You can support Jordan Cobb and the work she does by pledging to her on Patreon at patreon.com slash nosuchthingproductions or following her on Twitter at inkphemeral. That's I-N-K-P-H-E-M-E-R-A-L, inkphemeral. Jordan's next show is the sequel to Giannis Descending called Descendants, which is going to be, as Jordan puts it, a five-part science fiction action miniseries. It looks like it's going to be pretty dang stellar. Huh? You can support our work on Patreon at patreon.com slash Revival, and you can follow us on Twitter at radiodrama. Visit our website at radiodramarevival.com, where you can read our bios, investigate our archive, and buy merch at our marvelous store. That's radiodramarevival.com slash shop. And now, your moment of will. Hey, Will, what's the secret of that Roman god you told us about last week?
1: Well, David, in typical Jordan Cobb fashion, she was two steps ahead of me and answered this herself. Janice has two faces. One looking into the future, one looking into the past. He got two faces on that head. How wild. And hey, listener, you know I got two faces too looking into the past and the future. And I can say that regardless of any hardships in your past, your future is looking pretty bright.
0: Just as Janice presides over transitions and endings, so must I too preside over the end of this episode. Sound the traditional end of episode gong, Will. We always do that, right? Anyway, the sound of that gong tells me it's time for the credits. This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation and the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams, who has taken advantage of having been turned into a living gemstone by becoming the greatest Instagram influencer in the galaxy. They have literally become a filter. People pay to take photographs refracted through Will's unique facets. Shine on, you chompy diamond. Ah, Ow, Will, Jesus, it was a compliment. Ow, no, I need that finger. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen, who, having been converted into bleeps and bloops, has swiftly clambered up the charts to number one. Hey Eli, sorry about the loss of your corporeal form, but congrats on becoming the hottest album of the summer, guy. Just listen to that groove. Ooh, how can it be so thoughtful, so kind, yet so funky? Mm. I'm doing a little dance. Our associate producer is Sean Howard, and it's so weird, right? Like he just stepped out to get something at the grocery store. Like I watched him leave the studio, and now I just saw him coming out of the radio drama revival gymnasium, towel draped over his shoulders, totally different outfit. But like he's definitely still at the grocery store, because he just texted me to ask if the studio was out of Pompeous LaCroix. And yeah, hold on, this is super rude of me, but I'm gonna text him back. Yes, we are. Thank you for asking, let me know how much it is. So, yeah, Sean is great Uh, and I think I'm currently working with like two or three of him. Our researcher is Heather Cohen, who, if you will recall, had an unpleasant run-in with some parasitic space fungus but has managed to parlay this into a mutually beneficial symbiosis. Due to the mushroom's unique pharmacological properties, she has turned her apartment into the most successful dispensary in Los Angeles. More power to you, Heather, but don't let it go to your head, please. I mean that literally. I can't have our best researcher's face converted to mycelium, again. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez Collins and Rashika Rao, and they are back from their liberation tour of Cygnus V. The organics are free, and we have so many new trophies, like this, the blade arm of King Mechanus, the droid lord. He sucked a lot, but I have to say, it's never been easier to cut onions. Thanks, King Mechanus. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalgh, who has made so many deals with stellar bodies, blue giants, white dwarfs, you name it, that he is now ghostwriting a memoir for one of them. The stars, they're just like us. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.